Raising kids, raising ourselves, something to chew on for trusting adult role models and the teens in their lives, hosted on April 26, 2021 by Ari Joshua Baus. Artwork by Aunt Barbara Merlotti. As a boy, I remember when grandmother used to emphasize, empathize with my complaints about teenagers by saying to me that they were like a different species. With no disrespect to our child who is a teen now or teens that I work with in school, I'd say that grandmother's empathic statement was spot on was a spot on characterization of this unique stage of human development. Not long that thereafter, I became a teenager myself, but she didn't stop loving me or stop making me feel like I belonged. How she raised five kids of her own, especially coming from abject poverty, a significant trauma background, and no idea how to be a parent is beyond me. But the woman had a strong survival instinct and stamina, as she had a household of five teenagers, back during the turbulent 60s, no less. Grandmother's teenagers gave her and grandfather a run for the money, especially by challenging the conventional cultural norms of the time. Before she could bat an eye, they all embraced the counterculture to varying degrees. Long hair, left-wing politics, sex, drugs, and rock and roll were all on the conversational table. Religion, conventional norms, and the establishment were all being questioned, discussed, and protested at the family dinner ritual. By the time I came along, I thought all that was normal. And while it was natural, it wasn't normal back then. Looking back in my time travels, I've never met anyone who would want to go back to their middle school years again. Usually, there are other ages people fantasize about traveling back to, but not that time period. Recently, a coworker friend inquired about what podcasts or other resources I might recommend for adults that are struggling with the challenging behaviors of teenagers in their lives. In short, try to stand in your own personal authority and stay away from power struggles. It's your approach that matters. Easier said than done. Someone wise once said about parenting, it doesn't get easier, it just changes. Your kids might leave the roost and then come back to live with you again. Before you know it, they might be changing your diapers someday. Might as well teach your children well, like the Crosby, Stills, and Nash song posits. Nothing against having a sympathetic perspective towards someone else's plight, but consider the power of empathy over sympathy as captured in the following short Brene Brown cartoon vignette, which you can check out on my blog website at classroommothershipearth.com. There'll be a link in this writing. More importantly, Parents and primary caregivers have a lot more power than we realize. At the end of the day, all we can really do is arm our children with the coping skills and strategies to build their resilience and live their lives effectively. So it stands to reason that it is incumbent on we parents, caregivers, teachers, coaches, and mentors to be good role models of those coping skills and strategies. When we do that, we are co-creating a safety net together to catch kids being good and help them bounce back when they aren't. Self-care is a powerful way to be good, a good role model and a good replacement strategy for neglecting your own needs as an adult. Are you taking care of yourself? If your kids in your life are seeing you take care of, taking care of yourself, then they are more likely to pay attention to when you instruct them to take care of themselves. Building in a commitment to a self-care routine in your life requires us to move beyond the entitlement of excuses that prevent us from making the well-being of our own souls a priority. Just being honest, most parents who are struggling with their teenager, who isn't, 
are also dealing with their own mental health issues because a teenager that is acting out impacts the mental health and well-being of a family system. If this is the case, a parent might want to consider discussing their concerns with the family doctor. I know a wise psychiatrist who is very vocal about encouraging parents to push their doctors to do primary care because mental health is part of primary care. Your primary care doctor might have some ideas to help you strategize about what steps to take. I have a coworker friend who informed me the other day that her doctor's first go-to is, your, is are you meditating and has a chakra chart in their office. This doesn't glorify the medical model. It just recognizes that our healthcare system is a support system, albeit not without its limitations. It is an embarrassment that the U.S. does not have a universal single-payer healthcare system, including mental health and substance abuse addiction treatment. But to quote Bernie Sanders, that's a different conversation entirely. However, by bringing up your concerns with your doctor, you become a catalyst for change and a good role model for it. Also, a parent caregiver perhaps accessing your own counseling or family therapist is a prescription you need to take back to your hearth. Let's face facts here. You get an oil change for your car, don't you? As a human being, shouldn't you at least get the same level of care as a machine? Furthermore, the point is that you're not alone, and it does take a village because the power of community matters. But the parents should be calling the shots, not the other way around. Youth empowerment and child rights are about our youth finding and having their voice. But our youth still need the guidance of trusted adults to show them the way. When a child runs the show and has too much power, that's scary for them and they can't handle it. When adults are scared, that's scary for kids. And given the times we're living in, coupled with the pandemic, that's a common denominator for all of us to be sensitive to and appreciative and appreciate nonetheless. Meditation helps you sit with what is in a less reactionary in less reactionary ways to what is going on around you. For example, a parent can be a good role model by being humble and vulnerable by reaching out to a teacher, so school social worker, or school counselor and starting a conversation about their concerns. At the middle school I work at, we have a multidisciplinary team that consists of our building principals, school resource officer, school counselors, nurse, social worker, and other supportive staff in our building. Our job is to discuss the students that are surfacing as the most vulnerable, which typically stems from issues going on outside of school and typically within their family systems. Our collaborative work together comes from a trauma-informed, positive behavioral restorative justice-oriented lens. Our civil rights team co-advisors facilitated a diversity and unity conversation at our last monthly staff meeting. It isn't easy work, but having a multidisciplinary team that affords a sacred space for group process is a helpful constellation to any organizational structure. Moreover, these days we are living in the turbulent 60s on steroids, for better and for worse. A lot of good came from that time, opening up consciousness, examining racial, gender, sexual identity, and class disparities and equity. But we didn't finish the job, and there is work to be done. You can run, but you can't hide. Nowadays, things are so divided. On the one hand, you have parents that want to rule the roost and have their children obey their command. On the other side of the coin, there are parents that buy into anything goes mentality without question and overly rely on the child's perspective. There's more than one reality. Keep in mind that one of the cues in LGBTQ plus movement is questioning, as in it is our right as adults to also question what we don't understand and question our children about what they understand about themselves and their world. This is a key dynamic in youth empowerment. 
The plus sign means that diversity and unity is about respecting and honoring our differences, but at the same time seeing that we're all cut from the same cloth. There is always a ripple effect, and the parent-child interaction is a mutually influence, influential process of interacting and learning. Looking back on the last 15 years of working primarily in middle school level, preschool to high school experience, with students in the 6th to 8th grades, what a long, strange trip it's been. This time in human development is unique differently unique, and I'm not just talking about the kids. As a social worker in schools, we have a unique lens that is a minority perspective. We generally view ourselves as educators in a different light, and we see learning that way too. For us, our bias is towards improving systemic and equal access to resources in mental health, wellness, and social-emotional learning. We tend to think about systemic problems in our work and ponder what we might do to affect change on that level. It's what our line calls mesosocial work, a unique hybrid of macro and micro practice. Our practice includes direct clinical work. We do some case management and work with other systems of care, including getting on various committees with a keen eye on political activism, as it is part of our code of ethics to advocate for the poor, oppressed, and other vulnerable and disenfranchised populations. Most of us have a background in trauma, so we tend to notice how adults in the lives of our population reflect what other students are, what our students are acting out. Some of the adults and more awake and aware of some adults are more awake and aware of these nuances and see themselves as part of the solution, or at least wanting to be. Others don't and seem to want to keep the blinders on or bury their heads in the sand. And then there are those that expect us to wave a magic wand and fix the problem. We can make easy targets that way. We're not good at pleasing everyone, which is okay because that helps many of us like me, that are wounded healers sober up to our disease to please and lick our own wounds. Besides, it's not our job to medicate people. We give a lot more thought to boundaries than other professionals. We have a sensitive understanding of power in relationships, and our idea of professional supervision is radically different from other workplaces. Reflectively, it's harder to be present to be a parent and a, a kid today. Learning how to be human has never been easy. Yet paradoxically, in some ways, our world is far safer than back in the days of saber-toothed tigers looking for food with us on the menu. Today, our evolution is more about our brain development, which is why mindfulness meditation is probably the most important factor in the human life cycle. We, tend, we need to support our capacity to co-regulate with each other so that we can learn to effectively manage ourselves so that we can function at home, school, and community. If a child doesn't feel safe at home or school or community, then it isn't very realistic that a healthy approach to learning will take place. All children and adults do better with when resiliency is being appreciated, cultivated, and supported. We all can benefit from learning how to make the shift from our downstairs brain to our upstairs brain or communicate from our amygdala to our prefrontal cortex. It's when our brains get tripped up offline that we experience a system failure, if you'll pardon the pun. As adults raising, working, and interacting with teens, our best tool in the toolbox is to be good role models. It's hard to teach mindfulness if we don't have our own meditation practice. As adults, this requires that we move beyond a position of entitlement. Those that are hardest to love need it the most. Encouragingly, the kids are really eating up this meditation mindfulness stuff up. In fact, Teens are at a uniquely receptive age for the advanced meditation mindfulness practice due to the stage of their brain development. Ask them about it. When I was a guest speaker at an elementary school 
It made my heart sing when a young boy stood up and said that his dad started listening to a meditation app to learn how to calm down when he was angry. In that, the boy recognized that his dad was becoming a happier person and better parent, as well as learning to have more self-control. As a social worker, many of my regular students I see feel like a burden to their parents or caregivers. Some are oblivious and could care less. Others recognize their privilege and want to be good allies to their peers in need, even if they aren't friends. In my civil rights work, it is beautiful to see our children becoming empowered and playing a lead role in creating a more welcoming school and community for everyone. It's a sign of a good coach who draws up the play, allows the quarterback to call the play, hand the ball off to the running back, and let him or her run the ball, run with the ball. They all have to trust the linemen and rest of the team to do their job if the play is going to work. Football is the epitome of teamwork and group work in action. You have to practice the fundamentals on the field and put in your time and do your homework off the field. It's about working smarter rather than harder. harder. But when you get knocked down, you don't get your way. You suck it up, buttercup, and get back up. What is more, challenging behavior and addictions are not unique to teenagers or screenagers, as they're sometimes called, given their penchant for screen time. Talk about a normalized addiction in today's world. It reminds me of growing up in a family of cigarette smokers during my youth, who would all seemingly light up once at once at extended family gatherings. And I'm not just blowing smoke, if you'll pardon the pun. And while marijuana may be legal in Maine today, as when asked by parents and caregivers, my consultation about it hasn't changed since when it wasn't. Like Willie Nelson says, it's better to stay away from substances and tell your kids to as well. But if you're going to indulge, it's better not to do it habitually around your kids or alone either, really. Repeated exposure to wellness and making healthy choices is more likely to result in teens learning healthy lifelong choice routines. Probably the best medicine is to learn self-control, self-regulation, and remember to breathe consciously in the living moment. As adults, if we are focusing on positive self-talk, being mindful of our breathing, picturing peaceful, calming thoughts, then we're more likely to be teaching our children how to do that too. If we are treating them with dignity and respect, then they are more likely to show it to us. If teens are being defiant, struggling with paranoid thoughts, obsessions, or deeply ingrained behavioral patterns like gaming, smoking, drinking, drugging, cutting, bullying, or other addictive behaviors, then we should respond to these issues with a restorative approach rather than punitive measures that just teach more work avoidance and apathy. In short, tough love is about teaching cause and effect as gently and softly as possible. Again, as an adult in later life, you might well start with yourself. You can't control everything they do, but you can control how you respond to it. Yeah, there is fear-based respect that comes with, along with ruling with an iron fist, but there's a different quality of respect from doing it Dr. King's way. Finally, natural and logical consequences can be powerful teachers. For example, let's say that your teen is heavily into the party scene and running the show at home. You haven't already, you could set three basic rules or guidelines that can be visually posted as a point of reference. This is a concrete strategy and takes the fight out of it. There has to be some buy-in to incentivize the game plan, which kids can usually articulate on some level. There should be consequences to when they follow the rules and when they don't. Kids are naturally egocentric, so there is there's needs to be a what's in it for me to promote their motivation to do the right thing. It's harder to notice and focus on the positive behaviors and consequences, but that's what's most important. 
If there is a significant pattern of defiance, disrespect, then it might mean a choice between therapy, rehab, or getting the police and legal system involved. Accountability is the key, and learning to take responsibility for their actions is something that should not be robbed from teenagers, or you're just asking for arrested development, if you'll pardon the pun again. Cheap for me to say, I do this as well as professionally, but struggle personally at times, as it's always more challenging to do this at home. It's hard not to be entitled as a man who is a social worker at home. I've put in my time at work, and I just don't want to come home and deal with a BS or drama as it would be easier to just check out. But that is exactly what I'm being asked to do by the universe. So I'm not asking any of you to roll up your sleeves alone here. Grandfather used to say that he couldn't expect his workers to do that for him if he wasn't willing to roll up his sleeves with them. Hang in there, folks. All you can do is do the best that you can. Try to become the change you want to see in the world. Sometimes you just limp along with the rapidly or flaccidly firing neurons of the teens in your lives. Take care of yourselves, everyone. Ari. Please feel free to check out my new podcast series by clicking on Classroom Mothership Earth or checking out my website there. Thank you.